All right. Let, let me ask you, let me say welcome to everyone this morning and those of you that will be uh, viewing by way of YouTube and so forth. We're glad to have you. And, uh, and we just trust that the Word of God preached today will be a blessing to you. Let me challenge, as I often do, mix faith with what you hear, that the Word preached might be profitable unto you. And so we must mix it with faith, amen, if it's going to do us any good. And uh, let me ask you a question now before I give you that. Well, you can be turning there. I want you to go to the book of Ecclesiastes with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. You say, where is that book? Well, if you'll split your book and your Bible in half, take the Word of God and do that, and you'll come to the book of Psalms. And then if you'll turn right, the next book will be the book of Proverbs, and the next book after that will be the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you would turn there to chapter 10, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And... Uh, and so you say, well, I thought this is a New Testament church, preacher. It is. We are New Testament. Well, this is out of the Old Testament. I know it is. I'm glad you recognize that this morning. Amen. But, uh, but the beauty of this, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says this. It says, knowing this, that the things that were written aforetime were for our learning. We're supposed to be learning some things out of the Old Testament. They were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. And so the faithfulness of God throughout the course of time dealing with man, he is faithful. Amen? Amen? And there's things that we can learn here. So let me ask you a question now before I give you the verse. Uh, do, does it, do you all have, uh, you know, in East Texas, do you know what we have over there? We have that caliche stuff. Now, y'all being from Pasadena, you, you know what that is. That caliche, you get down below the dirt, and man, there's this like clay but it's, you know, we get enough rain in the springtime, it almost looks like a thick pudding. And when you walk on the ground, the crust sort of gives away. Have you ever walked on a mattress as a child? Did you ever do that? And man, it's kind of springy and it kind of goes down and then it comes back up. That's how the soil is over there in East Texas. And guess what? What happens to foundations? Every one of them, they crack over there. You got a door that you can't close and a window that gets stuck because it's out of square. Do, do we have that problem over here? A little bit. Okay, well then this will make sense to you then. I want you to go to verse 18 with me. I thought I was going to have to indoctrinate you into what life is like in East County, all right, in East Texas. And uh, But look with me. Look in verse 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. Ecclesiastes 10, and verse 18. Now notice what this says. It says, By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. You know, the tendency of things is to go down. If it's just left to itself, it'll go down. You know, if you don't, you just can't leave a car sit in your yard and never go out there and occasionally start it. You may not drive it all the time. But you certainly just can't let it go for days or weeks on end without starting. The battery's going to go down. Sometimes the, the seals and things and the, and the, uh, the rings, and all, you know, it can be a problem if you don't maintain it. Amen? Well, that's the principle here with this. And I, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, the title today is Pillars and Piers. 
over in East Texas, you know what they do when your house begins to settle, that caliche moves around? They've got some people that come along and they inspect it and they look at your foundation. That's why there's no basements over there. I think there might be some over here. I don't know, but there's no basements for sure over there. And, uh, and what they do is they have sent somebody in there. They'll drill a hole or whatever. They look at it. And then they're going to go in there and they're going to pour some piers, which is, which is a piling, if you will, a type of concrete piling. They're going to jack it up to a certain area, put that pile in there, that piling in there, or a pillar in there. And that's what's going to hold up that house and support it from having any other foundational problems and then that way your doors won't get stuck and windows will function the way that they were intended and so they make that they make that pier that's footprint is really big why they want to spread out the weight of that pressure on there but they have to do that in order to maintain the continuity and the integrity of the slab upon which your house is, has been built and man, that's a huge investment is it not yes it is a house anymore, it, it ought to be considered an investment. And so just as pillars and piers are common to home construction in East Texas, so too there are some spiritual pillars and piers that we need to have in our homes. There's some things, you know, because if we don't take care of ours, what did that passage say? You know, it said, verse 18, by, by much slothfulness, the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. I've, I've been in some places where, uh, where I dropped through. Wasn't fun. Now, it, it may have been funny, but it wasn't fun, dear. My wife, for those of you at home, my wife is laughing because she remembers when that happened. I went riding up to my knee. And uh, anyway, and so, so anyway, I just want you to know that if, if we don't take care of some things about our home, the, we're, we're going to have some problems. Amen. Would you agree with me there? Things have got to be maintained. I mean, you know, if you want to get the if you want to get the most out of your vehicle, you got to follow the owner's manual. If you want to get the most out of your home, you got to follow the owner's manual. This is it right here. And God has biblical principles for us to for us to focus on today. So I want you to go with this. Go with me to Luke chapter six. So I'm going to help you a little bit this morning. I want you to turn with me, if you will, please. Uh, because, you know, if you haven't been reading your Bible, I'm going to help you get caught up this morning, okay? Is that all right with everybody? Not uh, very good. I'm glad to see that. All right. Luke chapter 6. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, God, Luke's gospel, chapter 6, and find your place in verse 47. Luke chapter 6, verse 47. Notice what the Lord Jesus says in this passage. Luke chapter 6, and look with me, please, in verse 47. Notice what he says. He said, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently. That word vehemently just means it was fierce. It was an angry storm, all right? I mean, you know, the, you know, we think that we name storms. I know hurricanes around here, they get names. They used to be all the names of women, and I guess that wasn't politically correct. Oh, good night. Which, uh, which I, I don't understand. I'm not a very politically correct person, okay? I don't think Jesus was a very politically correct person 
person as the son of God because he called that woman a Gentile dog. Amen. That's what he said. And he must not have read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. I don't think he had to. But, uh, but they, you know, they, 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 storms have been named for a long time. Do you remember in the book of Acts, they had such a bad storm? It was called Eurocladon. That was the name of the storm. So this wasn't something new put on by Noah. You know, the National Oceanographic and the A and the A. I'm not sure what that is. But, the, uh, but it wasn't just the weather service that named storms. They were so bad. But, uh, but they were named in the, book of Ecle in the book of Acts as Eurocladon. That's how bad the storm was out there in the Mediterranean Sea. Well, here there's a great storm, and it beat vehemently. When the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. One of the pillars, now we know the illustration here. There's no other foundation that can be laid that is laid, which is the Lord Jesus. And without him, I don't care what you try to put on out there. It's not going to work. It's not going to last. It's not going to withstand against the storms of life. And, and in life, storms come. So, you know, some clever person said you're either in the midst of a storm, you're either on your way out of a storm, or you're on your way into a storm. So, I mean, you know, they got you coming or going. Storms are going to happen. They're going to happen. And so one of the things, one of the pillars here that, that you and I must have in our life, we must have and focus on having a Christ-centered home. A Christ-centered home. He must be the unseen guest at every meal. He is the unseen guest in, in, in every uh in every gathering, whether it be around the kitchen table or it be around the coffee table or maybe it's the end table in your bedroom or wherever it might be, you might have a little table in the bathroom. I'm just telling you that Christ is to be at the centerpiece of our homes. And it is the only pillar, according to this passage, it says that will stand the storms of life. Why? Because it was founded upon a rock. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our rock of salvation. Amen? And, uh, and he is who we need. Otherwise, you build your house on what? Sinking sand. We, the kids have a song. You know, the wise man built his house upon the, what? On the rock. What's the rock? What's the sign for rock? Oh, he built it on the rock. All right? I just know sand is this. All right? That might mean safe in baseball, but that doesn't mean safe when it comes to having the wrong foundation. you got to have a Christ-centered home. David wrote this and said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It's got to be put together by the Lord. I know, I know what life was like for Debbie and I before we got saved. And Christ was not the centerpiece of our home. He certainly wasn't the foundation of either of our lives. But without being at Christ at the center of it, it will fail. Our homes are so important. America and many Americans' uh, homes are trying to make it without God. They are. I mean, the, the, the testament that our, our parking lot is not full this morning and to overflowing in capacity. And as I look around, you know, I invited people. We invited people yesterday. And they said, yes, they were coming. But I, I don't see them here this morning. But that's all right. God knows. He's very long-suffering. And I am too. Amen. I want to be as it concerns the work of God. But it's a testimony. You know, we, you probably passed people who were out in their front yard. Maybe they were picking up rocks. 
if they had one of those nice yards, you know, without grass in it. Maybe they had some cactus out there, whatever they're doing. They were probably doing that, maybe feeding up their animals. They were doing a lot of other things, but they weren't making preparations to come to the house of God to get fed from the word of God and go home strengthened with might in the inner man. They weren't doing that. Why? Because they gave a different priority to life. And many of those homes, they might be beautiful, but some of them got trouble by the square foot. Yeah. So the, a big house, you know, you might be prosperous in the bank, but man, you might be living there with a broken heart. Yeah. Amen? It's true. It's true. I mean, that's why, you know, it always strikes me as, as, as strange, you know, that, that our society, boy, we live, they live upon what the celebrities in Hollywood say, and they live upon what these athletes say, and a lot of those people, they can't stay married. I mean, they make all that money and they can't stay married to each other. Man, they, I mean, they change, they change partners or, or they don't even get married anymore. They just change them like they do their socks. You know, just in a short time, it's somebody different. There's no commitment. Why? Because they have not built their house upon a rock and their homes are not Christ-centered. And beloved, you got to work at that. You got to work at that because I'm going to tell you, the rain is going to try our roof, the wind will try our walls, and the floods will try the foundation. And so, so in a Christ-centered home, the leadership of that home, it focuses upon the things of God. Now, brethren, there are there, two, three, there are five of us here today. Brethren, leadership falls upon us. As men, it comes with the gender. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, and I was trying not to get off on the message in the Sunday school, but I'm telling you, God is looking for us to be the leadership in our home. Amen. It's the way it is. And ladies, you're not second-class citizens. You don't have a secondary role in the mind of God. Not at all. It's just that our roles in creation are different. It doesn't mean that one is inferior to the other or less important than the other. They're just different. You know what? I, you know what I, I have to say? My right hand is a little bit different than my left hand. Is yours? Did you know you got one foot a little bit bigger than the other? Oh, you say, oh, well, brother Ed, well, or you can put it this way. You have one foot that's a little bit smaller than the other. <laughs> See, I covered both bases for you. It's true. It's true. They're both hands. They're both necessary. Amen. You'd hate to be without one, but they are different. When I put them up, they're mirror images of each other. I, I, I can't, I, you know, I can bend my fingers like that, but I can't make my fingers go backwards over there, can I? Why? They're different. And so leadership, brethren, falls upon us. And I'm going to say again, listen, I said it in Sunday school. I'm going to say it again. You can't have too many good men in the assembly. You can't have too many good men in a community. You can't have too many good men in a nation. They're so necessary. And I'm telling you what, godly women are looking for godly men to lead. Amen, Amen brother. You should be. You should be. If you're not, you should be. And so they understand. Listen. In that Christ-centered home that focuses on the things of God and leadership, it begins there, that those things are important. And they understand that the church house is not the only place where the Holy Spirit can be offended. Listen, here this morning, the most sensitive person in this building today is the Holy Spirit. That's why he's likened unto a dove, if you will. What, we're, to, we're to be, what, we're to be uh, wise as serpents, but to be harmless as doves there's a gentleness about them 
There's a gentleness about the Holy Spirit. He produces that love, joy, peace. Gentleness is one of that fruit. It's in there. One of those things that we're to, that he is to produce in our lives that we're to allow to happen. And so, they, so real leadership understands that the church is not the only place where the Holy Spirit can be offended. And the Lord Jesus is not just supposed to be prominent, but to be preeminent. Do, do you know what the tallest building is in the Washington, D.C. area? I'm just asking, do you know what, what the tallest building? It's the only building of that height. It is the Washington Monument. And they have a lot of monuments. There's, there's a lot of interesting things. If you ever have a chance to go to Washington, D.C., it's a great place to visit or be from. Amen. All right. And, uh, and, but it's, it's a great place for young people to go to learn about the history of the country and so forth. And there are many edifices there and beautiful buildings and so forth. But the tallest building, the tallest monument in that area is the Washington Monument. It's the only building. It is singularly, it is 555 feet tall. The other buildings are not that height. No one else should be, and, and, what I, and the reason why I say that is no one else should be able to challenge the position of the Lord in your home. He's to be preeminent. Not just prominent, but preeminent. Amen? I mean, even, even you know, when the, if you've been to Washington, you know that from one of the views of the White House, the very first thing when they step out on that balcony out there, you know what they see? They see the Washington Monument. That's what they ought to be seeing place of integrity, a place that said, you know, that you can't govern people without God in the Bible. That's what Washington said. Yeah. Washington knew that and understood that. And in this cancel culture, they want to do without him. But I thank God he was first. Amen. I thank God he was the general in charge of the army during the, during the uh, American Revolution. And, uh, and God's order for the home ought to be followed. Listen to this, ladies. You can mark it down if you want to. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I won't have you turn there. Turn if you want to, but I'm going to read it to you. And, uh, and here Paul is writing, and Paul had been married. You say, how do you know that? He said, well, you thought that he was single. Well, he may have been at that time, but there was a time when he was married because he was a member. Uh, he had membership in the Sanhedrin. In order for a Pharisee to be a member of the Sanhedrin, they had to be married. And so, so this is what he said, but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Do you think the Lord Jesus was offended because God was his head? He took refuge in that. He took refuge in that. And in a Christ-centered home, it is the order, it is the arrangement that God intended for us to have uh, in the home. This is the part of the reason why I believe this. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth, you know, a, a, a good thing. It's a good thing. And so, but it says if any man, it, that, that's not the word for mankind, which would mean any person. God has not called a woman to pastor a church. Yes, I said that. God has not called a woman. Why? Because God's order for the home is that it is God first, Christ, the man, and then the woman. That's the order. That's the arrangement. And so why would he want my personal house to be different than his house? It's not. And it's not, it's not a rejection, ladies. Gosh, I think we have some smart ladies in here, talented ladies in here, and you have a special role in... Listen, 
Yes, the man is the head of the home, but the, but the woman, she's the heart of the home. You have such an important role. Don't diminish it. Don't think less of it because of what Oprah or The View or that trash says. Don't do that. Facts are stubborn things. Those are the facts. God intends men for you to be the leader. It came with the gender. And as I said in Sunday school, I know what a man is and I know what a woman is. Amen. I don't have to look it up in a dictionary. It's the way that it is. And so men are under authority as well. Jesus wasn't, Christ was not offended that his father was in charge. He said, hey, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. He is submission, ladies, and in your submission, it's not just about to the man, but ultimately it is our submission together to God. Well, they'd have done shut me down if I was on CNN already. That's the Christless News Network. Amen. Amen. <laughs> listen. Men are under authority as well. Now listen to me, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. The, the message here is for everybody. This, this fits everybody because whether, whether, you are, whether you are single today, you need to have a Christ-centered home. Amen. Amen. And if you have children or grandchildren... Those children don't need to be the center of that home. The more child-centered you make your home, the more likely they are to rebel. And you're actually going to be setting them up for a huge failure because when they get older, is that boss, when they want to go out and get a job, is that boss going to look at them as being the center of attention? I think not. All right? And they're going to be sadly disappointed. I told you about that young man one time in high school. Uh, he, you know, bright kid and... and uh, you know, and I, I told him no in the class. I told him no. And, uh, you know, and then he just shut down on me. He just began to pout. I mean, a 17-year-old just began to pout. And I, I, I you know, I said, are, are you, are, what's up with you? I kept him out. I said, you just shut down on me. What's up? I said, what's the matter with you? What happened? He said, well, you told me no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said, you're 17. Have you never been told no in all your life? He said, well, you told me no. He was serious. I don't blame him for that. I blame mom and dad for that. He's going to have some problems out in life, because I'll guarantee you out in life. They, I have been told no out in life, haven't you? Amen. A lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah, a lot. And and so it is. And so and so listen, you and I, we 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 you know, the more child-centered you make your home, the more likely they are to rebel. Yes. You say, well, they're, 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 you know, grandchildren, yes, they're just little angels. Yes, they're fallen angels. They have a depraved nature. I'm going to say again what I said on Wednesday night. Why do you think the nursery has bars on the cribs? What if they had the physical strength to match their tempers? There'd be a lot more homicides in Kerrville. It's true. Now listen, I love my kids and I love my I love my grandchildren dearly. I do. But they're not the center. They're not the hub. The Lord Jesus Christ must be the hub, must be the center. Because you're going you're, you're going to give them an inflated entitlement about themselves that the rest of the world is not going to care about. 
doesn't mean that they aren't important. You see, men are the head, a woman is the heart, the wife is the heart, but children are the hope of our homes, and our grandchildren are the hope. But we need to do our part. You know, what does it say in the book of Psalms? As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Blessed is the man that hath his quiver full. And just in case you needed to know, a quiver full is seven, brother. That's seven, all right? Uh, I know some that have had, my daughter has six, all right? Son has five. And, uh, and so uh, a quiver full was considered seven. But how did they get those arrows? They, they didn't go to home. There wasn't an academy back then. Uh, they, they, did, they didn't go to bear archery and buy them. They had to find some sort of branch, a limb, and they had to shape that. They had to carve it. They had to, they had to do something to it to make it where it would do what? So it would fly straight. And dad, grandpa, in your home, it's part of our job. I want to raise a godly generation to leave behind a generation so that the next generation, my great-grandchildren, I want them to be in the house of God. Don't you want yours there? Amen, I do, I do. But it starts by having that very first pillar in the right place at the center. You know, you got load-bearing walls here, right? That's what they're intended to do. They bear the weight of the roof and the rafters here. Got to have them, got to have them. So too Christ is the center, should be the center of our homes. Let's go to the next thing. You're right there in Luke. You're in Luke. Go to chapter 9 with me, please. You enjoyed that so much. Let's go to the next one. What's the next, what's the next pillar we ought to have? The next pier, Luke chapter 9. And look with me, please, in verse 10. Not only, not only should Christ be at the center of our home, but there needs to be some conversation in the home conversation in the home. Look in Luke chapter 9 and look in verse 10. Notice what it says. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. The Lord Jesus here is dealing with his apostles, right? Those men that are following him. And it says, and the apostles, and thank you for turning, by the way. I hope you're turning at home. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. Now watch. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So there was a time, there was a time for public ministry. That's what they had been doing. And when they came back, what were they doing? They were going to tell, man, Lord, this happened, that happened. They were just, uh, what happens when you come back off of a trip? Don't people want to know? Amen. Hey, what did you see? Where did you go? Who'd you meet? What did you eat? Where did you stay? Uh, they got things about that. And we rehearse those things with them. But the Lord in particular, he sent them out and they came back in. And now what did he do with them? They needed, they needed some private time. And he took them apart and he brought them to that deserted place. Why? Where they wouldn't be, where they wouldn't be disturbed. They weren't going to be molested by anyone. And they, do you just think they sat there all like bumps on the log? No. I think there was some conversation. There was some conversation. And, and beloved, there needs to be some conversation within the four walls of your home. And you say, well, Brother Ed, I, I live by myself and I talk to myself. Well, amen. You can be like, like, like Brother Hoots. And he said, man, I have, I have an intelligent conversation whenever I talk to myself. It's the only one I have during the day. Amen. All right. But you need some conversation. Conversation. Uh, now listen. And conversation is a two-way thing. What, what is prayer? Prayer is asking 
and then receiving from the word of God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is asking and receiving. What did Jesus say? Ask and you shall receive. It's not just a one-way thing. It's a two-way thing. So is conversation. And you need to have some conversation with your spouse. You know, you need to do that. Now listen, you didn't mind listening when y'all were courting, did you? Go back with me. You didn't mind listening to those things, did you? No, man, you were hanging on every word. Why? Because she was the one that said it. And you say, well, Brother Ed, you just must have been easy, preacher. That's how you were. You know, I know everybody over here are all rough and tough. You know, cowboys, good old boys. But I'll guarantee you, I've been around some men that when their wives went around, they swelled up like the poison pup. Amen. Why? Because they missed them. I'll guarantee you, brethren, when you were off in the military, like how I was off in the military, man, I wrote them letters all the time. I couldn't wait to get a mail call was an important thing, was it not? It was for me anyway, man. I hated to go to mail call. Everybody's name called off but mine. That meant everybody else got mail. So you know what would happen sometimes at my hooch when I was overseas? That's what my where I stayed it was called a hooch. And, uh, and and you know what happened in my hooch? The men would come around and say, "Man, did you get any? Did you get any? Did you get a word from Pop? Did my dad would write or send a tape or something? Did you get a word from Pop or whatever? Of course, I wasn't going to share the letters I got from Debbie with them. And uh, and you know, and she has my letters locked up in a suitcase, and and not nobody else in the family has ever seen them, nor should they." I was homesick. And when I got home, man, we talked. I just didn't sit there in the chair. Are y'all with me? Yes, sir. You ask things like, how was your day? Hey, what was the best part of your day? And I, I know, men, I know that you're going to get everything well. You know, it started off... Well, it started off, you know, the dog dumped, dumped over the stuff and I had to pick that up. And when I was down there, I, I, I found, that, uh, I found that, that tool that goes, you know, I've been looking for that thing and I hadn't seen it, but it was all messed up. And so I had to go, I looked on Amazon, I had to buy another one because that one was broken and rusted and I had to do that. And then when I did that, by that time, man, it was already like 11 o'clock and I already had started thinking about lunch. And, and you're already tired of listening. Nod your head up and down. Don't, act, don't be pious. I know we're men. Men, what do we do? Women are gatherers. Men are hunters. When I go to a store, I purposely, I, I'm not a chauvinist for those of you at home, I promise you. But I'm careful about what line I get in. I don't get in a line where someone is buying clothing. But particularly for a lady. Why? Because she hasn't really fully made up her mind that she's going to buy that. And she gets up there to the person in the line and she go, and they go like, where did you find that? Oh, they were back over here. Well, that's a lovely color. You go, and I'm like, come on, ladies. I'm wanting to check out, all right? That's, but that's not, hunters, we don't want to do. I know what I'm going for. I, I told Debbie, I want to go to Gibson's. We're going to Gibson's. I said, yeah, I need some ammo. And so I, well, I, didn't, I, didn't, want to, I didn't want to go over where the flags are and the, and the, you know, where the canning goods. I walked right back there to, to, the, uh, 
to, to the ammunition where the guns are. I walked on that side. The guy walked up and I pointed to it right there. I said, I need that 4570 caliber. All right, that was it. Check me out. And we got out of there. Men are hunters. We don't gather. We're not like, well, I'm just going to hang this here for right now until I make my mind up. <laughs> and then what happens, then you put it back, and then when you go back in there, when you finally decide to buy it, I, I thought you were going to get them out. Well, they were gone. They'd already sold out. Well, why didn't you buy it? Well, I don't know. That's, that's married life. And it ought not to be a burden. Boy, those of you at home, can you hear how quiet it is? It's quiet. <laughs> what was the best part of your day? Plan something together. Talk about something you're going to do together. Sit on the porch or whatever or out back. I'm just saying, man, you know, the Bible says a man that has obtained a wife has obtained a good thing. And I know things change, but you've got to remember how things were. You've got to remember the years of faithfulness. You've got to remember the years of, uh, of some of the laughter and stuff. Man, some things that ought to be in your home. There ought to be some love and there ought to be some laughter. Can you laugh at yourself? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, have you looked in the mirror? We all are kind of funny looking. Amen. Things happen. Yes, they happen. They happen to all of us, but there needs to be conversation. You need to have it with your children, talking with your children and listening to them. It'll help you. Do you want to have a relationship when they get a little bit older, when the pressure gets on them as teenagers? Do you want them to listen to the kid down the street or that toe-headed boy talking to your daughter? Is that what you want? No. You want her to be able to come talk to you, Dad. You're going to be the first man she's ever going to love. Amen. Spend time talking with them. Learn about them. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs in chapter 27, it says, be diligent to know the state of thy flocks. What does that mean? That means you need to, you need to know how are, how are the flocks doing? How are the animals doing? How are the people that live in your home doing? And if you don't talk with them, you're not going to know. Then I just say, well, I, I'm, I'm just quiet by nature. Well, yeah, but you know, that's the old nature. God gave you a new nature. And God gave you children. And God gave you grandchildren. Talk with them. What are you doing? Pick at them. Man, I love to pick at mine. I, I, I like to do that. I like to pick, I like to pick at mine. I, 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 I tease Joanna. Man, she hears this. I tease Joanna. I used to call her when she was young. I called her DQ. You know what that was for? That was for the drama queen. There was always a crisis, always something, you know. And then I would say, well, it sounds to me like you like it. Oh, Grandpa, that's not, you know. But that really was. You say, how do you know that? Because I was a teenager once. Have you forgotten what it was like to be a teenager? You say, well, life, Brother Ed, I, I've got bills to pay, and i got jobs, and i got work, and i got... Yeah, but you can't forget where you came from. Do you really know them? Because they're not all alike. They're different. They're different. I just only had to look at Christy. Man, Brian had to have a little extra help. You know? And 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 you say, well, how, 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 how do you love them, Brother Ed? I'll spell it for you. T-I-M-E. 
That's how you spell love to a child. Is T-I-M-E, your time. Your time. It's so important. Taking time to spend with them. Taking time. Man, it might just be, man, you know, and when you got a bunch of them, you know, like my grandkids, you know, gosh, we would sit down at the table over there and the fight was on as to who was going to sit next to grandma and grandpa. Well, I'm going to sit here. They would rearrange the table. And I said, finally, I said, well, y'all just sit where you normally sit, you know, or, I, 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 you know, I'll go in on the couch. And, you know, they all, well, I was sitting there. And, well, you got up and go, I know I was sitting there. You know, so, so a big deal when you've got a large family, you know, one of the, one of the things that it's, I think it's wise on my son-in-law and daughter's part, you know, when it's one of their birthdays, they just go out with dad by themselves. And, uh, and have that time together. It's important. It's how you show your love to them. Time. How Your tongue is also another thing. Do you talk with them or do you talk at them? How do you communicate with them? And then your touch. Your touch. Listen, Dad, you know what your son wants from you? He wants your approval. The Bible says the glory of children are their fathers. They want your approval. And sometimes that's just by, by putting a hand on a shoulder and maybe saying, and I'm proud of you and what you did. You handled that well. Maybe you're growing up. You did well. Your touch. It makes such a difference. And, and, and you know what? Men, you know what your daughter, they need your affection. Because if you don't provide it, then they're going to come along to the first boy that says, you know what, I think you're pretty. Man, where did you get hair like that? Man, your eyes. I just get lost in your eyes. And all of a sudden, man, she's just Twitter-pated. That's the word for it, Twitter-pated, because it's, it's not a normal you just sent there all them, you know, that woman's brain that looks like a spool of yarn all touching. You just made all that stuff go sparkler in there, all right? It's what you did. And Dad, that ought to be coming from you. Amen, Brother Ed. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to pound on you this morning, I promise. I'm not. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you something that what the Lord ordered for me to give this morning to help our Homes. Mine is clued. I've got to practice these things. So, you know, Debbie may have a long story to tell me this week. I don't know. But your touch is important. Number three, let me hurry. Look in 1 Thessalonians. Keep turning right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Are y'all with me? We're talking, about, so we're talking about some pillars and piers. These are things that shore up the weak areas of our homes. And we're all subject to these things. Why? Because we are creatures. We, we're not only creatures of pride, but we are creatures of being in a routine. Routines seem to help us sometimes. But in doing so, we, come, we become complacent about important things. Not only should there be a Christ-centered home, not only should there be consolation, a correction. Not only should there be conversation, but there should be consolation. Look in First Thessalon. Look in First Thessalonians chapter two, and look in verse eleven. Notice what Paul said. He describing his his behavior toward the the the, the folks at at the church at Thessalonica. Look in verse eleven. Are y'all there? Amen. And notice what he said. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted. 
and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. What is an exhortation? You know, a consolation, you know, a, a strong home, a, a spiritual home is a place where there are words of encouragement. Every, man, didn't you like to hear when you got finished? Man, that was a good job. And I appreciate that. I can see that you took your time with that. You did a good job, and I'm grateful for that. I, I, I mean, I hope, I hope you say that to people when they do work for you. You've asked them to do something. You say, well, gosh, I'm paying them, brother. Ed, what more? Good night. You know, how a kind word goes a long way. And guess what? In your own, even in your own home, maybe if you said, you know, encouragement is vicarious. Teachers use this all the time. You know, if they would say in a classroom, they might say if they want to do a little classroom management, they might say, well, well, Jennifer, you are sitting up so straight and tall. I really appreciate that. I can tell you're listening this morning. What did everybody else in the classroom just do? They all started to sit up straight and tall. Maybe you did. some of you might have even done that on the school bus. I don't know, but I mean, it has that effect. And so a word of encouragement, it spills over into other areas. And Paul said he exhorted. That's that jump start. That's that, that's that encouragement. Sometimes he comforted. Comforted. It might be, you know, it might even be sometimes, man, I, I can see you're afraid. You know that when I was your age, I was afraid too. I mean, gosh, you should have seen me. You, you probably thought, if you would have seen me, no kidding, if you would have seen me uh, take out the trash when I was probably about eight years old, you probably were all, you probably could have predicted that I was going to be a sprinter when I, when I grew up in life. You know, because I would, man, I would make a beeline for, to take the garbage out, make a beeline out there and a beeline back. And by the time I got back, I was out of breath. Why? Because there was always something out there in that dark was going to get me. Amen. <laughs> but a word of comfort. And it might be, you know, I was afraid once too when I was, you were? Yeah, I was. I was. And faith, that's that charge. He comforted them, he charged them. I had said love, laughter, and there ought to be some light. Listen, in consolation, consolation, you know, that's who Barnabas was. He was the son of consolation. It was something about his nature, his spiritual nature there, that he, he knew how to console people. So, so you remember when, do you remember when Paul showed up in Jerusalem? Who was it that took up for him? It was Barnabas. And said, man, I've heard this brother. I've seen this brother. Man, he's a changed man. And what did he do? He made a way for Paul to be accepted by the, rest of the, by the rest of the brethren there in Jerusalem. It meant something. And a word of consolation sometimes. Even when people, when, when do you need, when do we need mercy the most? When do we, you and I need mercy? It, is it not when we have failed? Peter said, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Charity, that's love. Love will help that person to recover. Love will help them with that. And so my question to you is, do, do family members have a way back? You know, there always should be a door of opening. You say, well, you don't know what they did. I understand. I understand. I don't have to know everything about all of your personal lives or with your children or grandchildren or whatever, but I just know this, that as God's people, there needs to be a way back. The, the prodigal son is a perfect example. Was he wrong about his dad? I mean, look what he said. Well, man, he... You know, to take the inheritance before it was his time, what he was saying was to his father, really, I think you're, you're dead to me. 
What a horrible thing to say to someone, you're dead to me. But when he got that inheritance before his, while his father was still living, that's what he was saying. You're dead to me, Dad. And he got down there, and the Bible says he came to himself, and he said, man, even the servants at my dad's house are doing better. I'm going to go back to my dad and tell him, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Just make me one of the hired servants around here. And, and what did the father do? The father gladly, uh, man, he ran out to him. That's, I would say he had a way back. He did. He did. Ask yourself, do family members have a way back from error? Because we're all going to make them. Then lastly, courtesy. Courtesy and charity are first cousins. Did you know that? What You say, what is courtesy? Courtesies are the, are the little kindnesses that you do, like maybe opening a door or expressing gratitude. Uh, you know, it is treating each other with respect and honor. You know, she's not the old, she's not the old lady. You know, when you're talking with the guys, they're all talking about, yeah, my old lady. No, 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 no. No, that's my wife. Amen. It's my wife. And, and he's not the old man, ladies. Well, my old man said this and blah, blah, blah. He was my old. No. No. Who's your husband? Uh, listen, it, it, isn't it hard for kids to learn to respect their parents if they don't see respect in mom and dad for each other? I mean, we, you think about that. You think about that in the classroom. You know, they come home and when you talk about badly about the teacher... And you say, man, that lady with her bird legs and all that kind of stuff, and she she's just this, and she just puts too much on our son. And guess what's going to happen when Bobby goes back to school? Bobby's going to say something to the teacher, and you know, and Bob, and who's going to bear the brunt of that? Bobby is. And where did he learn that? He learned that at the kitchen table. We got to be careful what we sow in our garden. Listen. Jesus said this. You need to take the higher ground, beloved. There ought to be some courtesy. There ought to be some consolation. There ought to be, there ought to be in this some conversation, the right kind of conversation. And when it goes the wrong way and you start talking about other people, hush it up. Somebody have enough, somebody say, you know what? We really ought not to be talking about this. And let's don't. You know, the Bible says in the multitude of words, there one if not sin. What happens in conversation? They start off good and they go down. Take care of your business and then hush up. Ought to be some good conversation and Christ ought to be at the center of your home. Now listen, last thing what Jesus said, it's in John 13. He said, if you know these things, but it takes more than knowledge, it says, happy are ye if you do them. That's where we've got to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So let me ask you, what is it like at your House. What's it like at my house? I got. I, I have some of these things I've got to. I've got to work on, and so sometimes listening, it, you know, in that it takes time, and it takes attention. You can't be. You can't be. You know. You know, if this if this was your if this was the person you talked to, you can't be like. That's rude, man. You know, look them in their God given eyeballs, Amen, and talk with them, listen to them, look at them. All right. Let's pray. Sister, you come. Heavenly Father, I sure do thank you for the word of God. And I thank you for my dear wife and my children, Lord, and my grandchildren. I even have some great-grandchildren, Lord, that I've not got to hold yet. But, Father, I pray that I could be a good example. And I pray, Father, that, that I may have some of those opportunities, Lord. 
And I pray, Father, that we would be like that diligent man who realizes that his substance it is precious and that it cannot be easily replaced. I pray, Father, that you'll help us this morning. May you have your way in the invitation today. We certainly love you and we need you, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that you have a gentle hand for us. Help us, God, to appreciate uh, each other. Lord, in the life that we have chosen together to follow you. And I pray that you'll bless now the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.